I'm Hannah Young, and you're listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Usnick, sponsored by Philanthropic Impact. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Usnick. Today I have as my guest Roman Leo. He is the COO of Adore Me, which is a revolutionary laundry company that you may not have heard of, but after today you're going to want to know more of. He's a French entrepreneur who has seen how restrictive and selective the US lingerie market was. And he and his partner set out to build a response to that. And now he is rocking it for US women, offering them lingerie at an available price point and growing his company in global effort, as well as looking at new and expanded brands and extensions. Roman, welcome to The Caring Economy. Thanks, Toby. Nice to see you. So we always begin our episode by talking a little bit about our guest's life journey. In like two or three minutes, might you give us a sense of who Roman is, how you got where you got, maybe some of the bumps along the road that made you more clear-eyed and effective at ending up where you are now and Maybe there were some mentors along the way or a certain person you want to give a shout out to. Great questions. As you can hear from my accent, I'm French. I'm born in France, born and raised most of my life. Uh, also, my, my father came to the U.S. to studies. So I actually spent uh, my childhood in the in Silicon Valley. And then I, I came back to, to France, uh, worked uh, a few years in consulting at McKinsey Company for, for a good seven years, uh, first in Paris and then in a in Asia, in Singapore and Vietnam. Great experience, a lot of learning. You know, I started my career in consulting because I didn't know what to do with my life. So it was a good way not to choose. And, uh, and it helped me to figure out what would be next. And uh, I made a lot of encounter, learned a lot of stuff, had a good time. And that's how I, I, I found, uh, I met Morgan, uh, who will become uh, Adormi uh, co-founder with me. I'm fascinated. You said you were a, a young kid from France in Silicon Valley back in the day. What was it like? I mean, we hear about it. We see movies about it. It's mythologized today with, you know, these garage startups. Like that as a kid, were you tuned into that at all? Did you have a garage no, rock band? Nothing to mythological. I, I went, I arrived in the U.S. when I was one. And I stayed until I was four. Uh, my father was studying at Stanford uh, for his MBA. Mm -hmm. So uh, my first childhood memories are more like uh, playing on the playground, uh, dressed up as a cat and having a lot of fun, uh, like <laughs> any, uh, any kids uh, dream to, to have uh, to be uh, in the US, but nothing about fancy Silicon Valley. By the way, it was uh, 1982. The Silicon Valley was starting, but there was nothing, you know. Right. Maybe we should have invested in real estate by then. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been a better uh, investment you, in my life. But uh, nothing related to tech by then. It was more the beginning of something. Yeah. And then you had, in my view, the good fortune to then move to other parts of the world. And that international experience, I presume for you, as it has for me, not only shaped you, but probably made you the more nimble leader that you are. You're more open to ideas and, and differences. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, no, totally fair statement. Actually, I did my, uh, my own MBA at INSEAD, which is a business school for the world, on the Singapore campus. It's a, it's, it's a great uh, place because you have uh, one of the principles of the school is like no nationalities should represent more than 10% of the, of the class uh, classrooms. 
So you really have, you really study with people from America, from Lebanon, from uh, Central Asia, like uh, you have some mm -hmm. Kyrgyz in the class, some Japanese, some Chinese, some Russian, some Europeans, some Brazilian. And it was a very uh, first-hand experience of having all those discussions and, and having the, the chance to see how people are thinking, very different way of thinking of, uh, of having an etiquette of uh, problem solving. So that was a great experience. And mm -hmm. then... Uh, And I think it's, it's really a chance in an academic uh, mm -hmm. journey to really so many things without any uh, dominating culture, I would say, uh, international business. Uh, and then when I work, actually, I, I was working on different projects in different countries. Actually, for McKinsey, I work in uh, nine different countries with yeah. different projects, sometimes with locals, sometimes very international, sometimes uh, things that were very, uh, I spent uh, uh, three months in a supermarket to try to optimize the operations. Uh, and sometimes more the C-suite level with big CEO and things like that. And, and then you can see in real motion how people are, are thinking differently. Uh, very interesting. Most fascinating experience. We did a pricing project in chemical, not very sexy, but we have to work with different sales managers from four different countries. One was in France, one was in the US, one was in Japan, and one was in China. We, we did the same workshop which was a two-day workshop, pretty intense, with like some exercise, whatever, in the four countries. Such different culture and way of doing things. I mean, you have to see, and the best was between uh, Japan and China, like the Chinese were super vocal, aggressive, smart, uh, uh -huh. and, and, and you had the same exercise. The Japanese were very respectful of the corporate staff, and you have the younger that was giving uh, his best advice to the senior person on his, on his right in the mm. year that was doing his best advice to the senior person up to the most senior person in the ranks that would come with fix. And what was interesting, at the end, there was some kind of game with some points you could earn but on the best outcome. The outcome were the same, but the thought process couldn't be uh, more different. So that was a very <laughs> great experience, I would say. I'm thinking out loud that if you uh, added a fifth country, perhaps an Arab country where they have souks and you go to the market and prices are just a suggestion. That's the start of the, the conversation. Right, yeah. But that leads me to another question for you. So you and Morgan, you, you took your experience really looking at markets, pricing and all that, and you found an opportunity for sort of disrupting the lingerie market, which was particularly focused on set sizes and price points. So tell us a little bit about both Adore Me, your lingerie company, and then how it revolutionizing or disrupting the marketplace. It was 2012 in the US, before Me Too. At that time, Victor's Secret was by far the dominant player in the industry. And we, we looked at the market and we said, well, uh, there must be a different way uh, to sell lingerie in terms of experience, you know, because not every woman wants to buy lingerie by looking at, at a beautiful uh, Russian teenager, you know, in terms of price point and in terms of product quality and so on. And we compute, you know, a bit uh, a consulting uh, geek, you know, and we compute what, why uh, this company is so successful and not the other one. Because I have to say, Victoria's Secret, they were successful for many reasons. I mean, they was one of the best brands in the world. Their operation was very smart, so there was something. But the outcome was still a, a sub-optimal uh, customer experience because the products were high, because uh, there was a lot of size that are missing, and because it's, there is a lot of dirty secrets in the industry. But one of the staff is like, it's complex to do lingerie uh, for curvy women, and it's more costly. So they had the choice to truncate half of the market because it was easier for their staff. In terms of branding, you know, again, uh, before Me Too, Victoria's Secret Show, and so on. 
and, and we say there is something wrong and you know as an entrepreneur there is an opportunity and and initially we say well we can make lingerie more inclusive we can revolutionize that by going digital only uh, and and also by remove the middleman by working directly with uh, the same supplier or similar supplier at Victoria's Secret, but without uh, a web of intermediaries that are not really creating values. And that's how Adormi project was born. So a lot of works grow, we got some staff, there was up and down of uh, any uh, entrepreneurial experience. And uh, here we go in 2021, things are moving further. And uh, in the meantime, a lot of things have been happening for Adormi. But a lot of stuff have been happening in the market as well. Uh, there was, of course, new DCC players that come and try to, to replicate our success with each of them a bit of different uh, variation around something. There is, there is a lot of interesting stuff happening, but uh, it's the reality. It's a very hard industry. I, I would even argue that lingerie per se is not a very good industry to work on. You know, we should have maybe work in tech. But is it a monopoly industry? Is Are there very few players or manufacturers? I will not say it's a monopoly, which is a very specific term with mm -hmm. some legal ramification and so on. I would say it's a very complex industry. And the reason why is that from the product. In a bra, you have more than 60 components, which is more or less the number of components in an iPhone, in a pants or... A, or a shirt, you have more six or seven components. And each of those components implies a specific value chain. So when you, you buy a bra at Adorni, we have manufacturers that with one manufacturer, but they deal with a tier one supplier, tier two supplier, tier three supplier. So from a pure value chain perspective, the lingerie industry is closer from almost the automotive industry wow. versus the other apparel. And that's why, you know, the industry of lingerie, it's always lingerie brand. There is no, I'm talking of real lingerie, not some very simple product, but, yeah. you know, uh, the gap and so on, they don't go into the lingerie because it's a bit of subfamily within the apparel, which is very specific. And, and, uh, and I think that uh, Victoria's Secret had uh, a lot of strengths uh, for a long time in terms of operation, yes. in terms of execution in terms of branding, but it was challenging. But if you look in the US beyond Victoria's Secret, up to Adormi, it was a bit of a graveyard of good ideas. You had a lot of brands that came and disappeared over time, or they never really scale beyond $50 million revenue. So uh, it's, it's a very tough industry. You said how many constituent parts go into, for example, a woman's bra? 50. Five zero. Wow. Of those 50 or so, uh, say for uh, that aspect of lingerie, where are you manufacturing? Is it is it truly globally? Are you doing it in quote unquote clean markets or do you source all over the world or how's it work? The reality is all over the world, but there is a strong Asian component because of the value chain I was describing before. Yeah. Alors, one disclaimer, we are in the mass market. So Adormi is every size, every wallet, every woman. So we are not talking of a super luxury uh, Italian lingerie brand that sells $200 wallet. Uh, we are talking of the mass market. And if you understand the value chain, you have the raw material and so on, and the reality, a lot of the staff are, uh, are, are in Asia. So we manufacture in... Uh, more than uh, 15 countries in the world. The raw material are also coming from even more countries, but the reality of the mass market uh, closing, at least until now, there is a very strong component in Asia. There is also a lot of stuff that are happening 
And for instance, we launched a capsule collections that was actually print on demand in North America, in our facilities. It's still a new things, and this is how the value change with technology is changing and so on. So new model will emerge. But if you look at the history and the current reality, most of the garments are made uh, are made in the US, uh, are not made in the US. So on demand is real for you, but is it still a tiny part of your business, or is it growing quickly? Uh, how how does that work? Alors, it is a reality that we launched uh, last month in partnership in partnership with Mass, who is a, a fantastic supplier uh, based in Sri Lanka. I mean, really, uh, we are very proud to work with them. It's a fascinating player. They have more than 100,000 employees. They have, in, they have initiative around uh, sustainability, climate change for the last uh, 20 years. They have case studies about United Nations. And I say that because they are based in Sri Lanka. And when people think uh, SARS is bad, it's simple what they do. No, no, trust me. There is the sophistication, the, the level of care, whatever. You should go and see what they're doing. Mass holding, it's a, it's a supplier and they supply a lot of the famous brand you will see in a, in a street in a, on Fifth Avenue. And uh, they reach us because they have worked on, on a machine that can do on-demand printing which is gut certified, that use uh, 95% less water, less ink. So in terms of sustainability performance, it's pretty uh, fantastic. Okay. And also because it's how to rethink the value chains to go toward more sustainability. Because the fact we can do on demand, you reduce your raw material, you reduce your inventory risk, you, you have a better customer experience because you can have capsule collections and so on. But it was a couple of years of R&D we the machine, we install it in our, in, our, in our distribution center. Then you have to test it. And of course, at the beginning, it doesn't work as well as you wanted. So we are supposed to have the capacity to print 2,000 garments per day. And it turns to be only 100 garments per day, which is not easy because when you have 1,000 customers that are waiting for their package and you say, well, yeah. it will not be printed today. It will be printed in 10 days. You can imagine that some are unhappy. So it's the beginning of the journey. But I think it's the beginning of a profound transformation on how yeah. to rethink deeply the value chain. And the reason why I mentioned this partner is like because I think that to rethink the value chain deeply, you need to have deeper partnership and so on. And the era where you have a brand sitting in North America saying, dear supplier in Asia, please produce that at that cost and we'll send you some editor to tell you, it's just over. It doesn't really work. I mean, you need to rethink whatever, and there is a lot of stuff going on, a lot of uh, possible synergies, but it requires that everybody rethink uh, the DNA on how we were doing business in the past. So it's the beginning. I hope it will be the beginning of a profound uh, revolution. Yeah. In terms of sales, I will, I will not lie to you, it's still minimal, but we are setting up, and hopefully next year it might be 5% of the business and then continue to scale. Ladies and gentlemen, again today, it's a, a fun journey for us on the caring economy. We have Roman Leo, who's the CEO of Adore Me, which is a disruptive lingerie company with a, I love that tagline, every size, every wallet, every woman. Roman, tell us a little bit more about the supply chain. Globalization has been a part of our reality in our lifetime, but then COVID sort of put things in a, a pause of sorts and supply chain disruptions. How's it played out for you at Adormi and how quick is the recovery, do you think, in sort of the globalization of market sense? I think that creates massive, massive disruption for all the players. And these massive disruptions sometimes had positive effect for some players and sometimes had negative effect for some players. 
if you look at the all-in, was it more positive or more negative? It was mostly more negative because of disruption. And I will explain to you what was happening from a dynamic perspective. It started in Asia. That means suddenly for three to four months, the supplier could not produce anymore. Their factory were closing and so on. It started in China, but then the other. We had some level of inventory, but well, suddenly your inventory started to go down and so on. Then it arrived and it hits North America. And what has been happening, retail stores were closed. And for DTC in general and online business, but there was a bit of boom and increase that benefited most of the business. So Adormi got a bit of two years of growth mm -hmm. in two quarters, which is good from a revenue perspective. But when you combine with the lack of inventory and type of risk, you enter into some danger zone because mm -hmm. we are merchants of goods that have a seven months lead time that take three months to cross the oceans. And Adormi, by the way, we only do sea ship. We don't do airship because it's kind of bad for the environment. So you you, you cannot scale and double your size like a, like a software company. It's just like... So you only do ship cargo shipping. You don't do air because of the environmental impact? Alors, before COVID, yes. Yes. During COVID, we tried to limit as much as possible. I was coming about this negative effect. There was some moment where we had to do in a limited portion, but I'm still a bit ashamed of that because we really had no choice because we had no more products sometimes where we have to, to use the old uh, airship, which I think is, uh, is a bad for the environment. Mm -hmm. And now we are back into only uh, sea shipping. Right. And, and, but it's a choice. And by the way, it's a strategic choice. And a lot of brands, and it's a dirty secret of the industry, only do airship today. And it's sad. And uh, if Mayer Pitt could hear me, he should forbid that. It almost makes more sense to airship uh, from a cost perspective because you gain two months of your cash, lead time, whatever. And you have external uh, external negative uh, negative impact for the environment, but it's not taken into account. So Adormi, we don't, we don't cargo shipping. It's lower. It's not as good for our balance sheet, but it's better for the environment. But it forces us to be much smarter in terms of forecasting because it's all about your capacity to forecast well. Mm -hmm. So uh, I go back to my journey, disruption uh, in terms of supply, then increase in terms of demand, a lot of yo-yo and then some factory are closing and so on. And, and, and right now where we stand, we are in this middle phase where we have a lot of stats that we are delayed because we didn't cancel any purchase order from our supplier because we didn't want to let any of those uh, in a bad position, again, contrary to many other players in the industry. And, and we, we receive, uh, like this month, we have received uh, way too much inventory because it's anything that was late for many months that pile up, either the manufacturer or then later on, it was pile up in some uh, uh, cargo in the middle of the Pacific, stock uh, yeah. in Asian Airbor, or stock in the LA Airbor. And suddenly, you have all those products are coming and like we are full, full, full. So the point is a lot of disruption, some uh, sometimes short-term positive effect, uh, overall things, but if we could have avoided it, I would totally assign that. But bon, we are compared to some of our peers that are only working in retail that had to close their store for one year. We are on the lucky side, hein, let's be honest. But it, it was tough and yeah. it is still tough. And I think with the China COVID policy, it will be another year of madness. Let's talk a little bit about body image, women's body image in particular, women and girls. That's often in the fashion industry, a source of debate. Does Adormi put forth a certain type of model or image? If you're 
offering lingerie for every size, every wallet, every woman. How do you market that? That's a lot of different audience members. Normally, you should go on our website. I think we have always been uh, inclusive uh, in, our, in our messaging, in terms of branding, in our advertising. And, uh, and we, we were looking for uh, the girls next door. So it could be your neighbor. So uh, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, one of the stats, the first TV campaign we had, we put a, a curvy model in the ad. And again, huh, before Me Too, before this era, and we got a lot of positive reactions. And we have always had, and you still have go on our website, a third of the models that are uh, curvy women. Now you have other brands that started to show other type of body image, but we are pioneer on that. Uh, you know, and actually, I'm all, you know, sometimes the team were a bit frustrated and say, have oh, you seen the last campaign of Victoria's Secret? They're copying us and so on. I say, well, we should be proud because we were right. And right. when we were thinking in 2013, we have basically no money, little uh, product, little nose industry. One day we will slay Victoria's Secret. We're pretty violent back then huh? because what they are doing is wrong. But it turns in 2021, guess what? Fast forward, they are doing in this uh, journey. So uh, the society has changed and the other has changed. And now I think that the, the fashion, the mass fashion is much, much more representative of everyday women. And honestly, I'm proud that we have contributed to that. If you want to follow up and check out your site or be in touch with you, what's the best way to, to do that? Is it? adoreme.com adoreme.com or Instagram you and I had a chat earlier or an exchange around TikTok and what say you about the role of TikTok in, in shaping young women and girls minds around body image social media in general in terms of body image and so on is, is pretty particular because of course it, it forces people to think more short term certain image display certain stuff so I, I would say in general I'm pretty critical and I think we only see the tip of the iceberg of the negative effect of lack of confidence, a lot of stuff. Two things that I want to add. One is my positive nature. There is also a lot of good stars that are coming and creator economies. And, and you know, we have a program. We work with creators. We have a website called creators.adormy.com where small uh, influencers like people that have 1,000 followers, 2,000 followers, not like fancy one. And, uh, and we encourage them and we give them some lingerie uh, product for free to unleash their creativity. And I can tell you that some, they are everywhere, uh, all over America, all over the world, some people that are pretty creative with lingerie, like stuff that you will never see in a, in a marketing branding agency. Uh, they will do it, you know, like uh, <laughs> I love it. on a Harley Davidson with some snakes. Uh, wow, surprising. So. <laughs> And so there is also a lot of creativity unleashed that I think is pretty good. And, and then there is other stuff. Last year, I don't know about TikTok, we, we did a post actually that became viral about the fact that their algorithm was biased to not display curvy women. Kind of a bit viral. You could check huh, if, you, if you Google uh, Twitter, Adore Me TikTok, it was about the algorithm. And we really tried to explain how the algorithm was bad and what it was oh. doing and so on. Trigger a bit of conversation. Uh, I think TikTok was not very happy with us <laughs> at the beginning, but we explained the whole stuff and it's very interesting because the, the debate behind is like how the algorithm encouraged bias and basically uh, was blocking blocking uh, curvy women from displaying lingerie while it was encouraging a certain type of woman. And we could switch because we post the same post with one curvy, one non-curvy woman. The non-curvy was uh, okay, got a lot of traction, and the other one was blocked for uh, nudity content and things like that. So there is a lot of uh, algo bias, and yeah. I think it's one of the biggest challenges of uh, 
artificial intelligence and so on. What ethics do we have behind? What's going on? And, and, and some companies like, like Google have done a lot of efforts. They try to have some ethic officer in the AI and so on. I'm sure they can do more hein, and encourage yeah. them. Some should do more and, and some are really a bit old school in terms of ethic and algorithm and that's yeah. all tick friends. Yeah, I've learned a new expression I've never heard. It makes perfect sense. Algo discrimination, did you say? Algo bias. Algo bias. Algo bias. Algo bias, yeah. but uh, from bias sense. to discriminations, it goes pretty quickly. So with and, the, with the um, TikTok example, do you know if you had an impact, if you had a change in their algorithm by that campaign or is it still the same? I honestly, I, I don't know. I'm sure it triggers some conversation on their side. Uh, we have, I cannot say. Uh, no. So I, I, I think, yeah, I think they are, they are pretty reactive. Huh? It's, it's a great, by the way, I don't want to fall into the TikTok bashing and so on. I think they are in terms of uh, creativity and in terms of velocity, in terms of things and their capacity to adapt. Agreed. The TikTok of today is not the TikTok of uh, one year ago, for sure. Agreed. So I'm sure as part of their... Uh, Algo change have been uh, genuinely trying to work on that, and it's very interesting. In that same vein, what about, for example, trans women as uh, a hot topic now in the sort of culture wars? Uh, where do trans women fall into the Adormi ecosystem? I would say, in general, Adormi, general positioning, I will tend to qualify as progressist. We are, honestly, anything in the company or positioning and so on, without being activist and I'm comfortable. So that means we could be hit on the right or on the left side by being uh, not enough or too much. So that's a general type of one step we do. And it's, it's our motto, actually, whatever you want to do in our lingerie, we are here for it. So we encourage every type of person to interact with lingerie and to do whatever they want to do. And that means that we know for a fact, because there is some article of Uh, transgender that I appreciate our lingerie and they can do it because uh, the reality we do a lot of large size and some uh, tend to be more on larger size mm-hmm. and, and because we were one of the first brands to sell uh, sexy lingerie for larger size and not some kind of boring lingerie mm-hmm. they are very happy so th- there is we know for a fact that we have a, a part of our customers that are uh, transgender and so on we are still a mass market so we don't specifically try to tap into this niche more than in that, so I don't have specific information. My gut tells me that within the transgender community, they say, where do you buy your lingerie? They will say, you should check Alormi, it's a good place to buy. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the customer reviews, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating what they say. I mean, you cool. have, uh, every month we got some internal report about the best customer review of the month and you have crazy story. I mean, it's very cute what people write. You'll be surprised like, oh, uh, you know, uh, thanks to the lingerie, I've been looking at uh, my wife differently uh, uh, for the last 25 years or something like that. So, and sometimes it's uh, a boy that says, thank you very much because uh, I can interact with this lingerie. So uh, there is a lot of stories that are shared and are visible because the customer uh, reviews, they are, they are live at the product description. So there is a lot of stuff going on. That's my anecdote. Couple last questions. Do you have any words of advice for young professionals? If you think back to when you were at NCI in Singapore or starting your entrepreneurial career, are there lessons learned or is there a or motto that you can live by? Don't compromise on your dream. Uh, you have a lot of people uh, that are uh, kind of voicing over a bit the new generation that they are too much or too whatever. No, guys, honestly, the young generation, 
you have the courage to do what my generation before should have done. So don't compromise on your value. Do you think what is right? And you will, you will change the world for the better place. And the world needs it because it needs to heal a lot of the, a lot of the bad stuff that my generation and the generation above have done. So guys, don't compromise. Uh, do it. Good. After, my second advice will be make your due diligence well in terms of looking yeah. at the data or speaking around and so on. And sometimes a good decision is to speak to people that have very different background mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, uh, in term of uh, personal background, in terms of ethnicity and so on, but also uh, from experience. And you will always benefit from the advice from a mentor. Doesn't mean we have to follow rigorously what the mentor will tell you because he will mm -hmm. have his own cognitive bias and he might not be as uh, passionate as you. But in what he will say, you have to filter the good half and filter out the bad half, but you don't know which half is it. So it's like, uh... that's what you learn over time. And lastly, Roman, can you tell us a little bit about what's next for Adore Me? Uh, any new markets you're going into, brand extensions or whatnot? Uh, Adore Me, uh, but in general, uh, we relaunched a very aggressive uh, transformation journey towards sustainability two years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. We have not talked too much about that because for two years we are doing our homework because we really started like the rest of the industry, which is nowhere. Uh, that's pretty bad, but in terms of sustainability, whatever. Now we start to launch new stuff and so on. Uh, so that really sustainability is the future of Adormi. And uh, we have bold plan, trust me, in terms of product, in terms of practice, in terms of sharing of the industry. Mm -hmm. We have launched a new marketplace called sustainable.com that will be uh, offering any brands that offer great products that are sustainable a marketplace to go. It was launched last week in partnership with Marcy Zaroff, who is an extraordinary woman working on sustainable fashion for the last 25 years. Well, you have to come back and tell us how it's going in uh, six months or so. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, again today, I want to thank our guest, Roman Leo, who is COO of Adore Me, the global disruptive lingerie company. Again, Roman, thank you so much for joining us here on The Caring Economy today. Thank you, Toby. Thank you for listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Usnick. Please share your comments and questions with Toby via Twitter at tusnick or LinkedIn at Toby Usnick. And thank you for sharing the caring economy with your friends and colleagues.